is a fan-off production. Welcome to yet another episode of Erie International, episode 389 this week, brought to you by fanoffmedia.com. My name is David from the United States. I'm Andy from Germany. And I'm Dave from the UK. And we are all here again. Um, why did I have to bail last week? I can't remember now. My kid, probably? Uh, uh, I, I believe there was a, uh, a What lie did I make up, clearly? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a lot of stuff. Which Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah we had was, a death uh, in our extended yeah. family. Yeah. 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 The holiday. Yeah. There was a lot going on. I, I was having to basically, I got to the, I think when I messaged you guys, I was down to the point where it was like, Daniel's asleep. I have to hit play on the rest of Conjuring right now, not let him see it. Not give him breakfast, <laughs> not talk to him because I can't hit pause <laughs> to be ready in time to record. So that's when I messaged you guys. I was like, oh, I probably can't make it, uh, but I'm going to uh, finish it. I asked uh, these guys off air how they liked it. And it sounds like uh, it was a, a thumbs up from the rest of the Erie guys. Um, what are we talking about this week? I don't even remember. 1922, right? <laughs> yep, 1922. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The I've watched a lot of stuff in the week. 1917 franchise. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, runaway franchise that uh, World War One film. <laughs> uh, now we're on the fifth entry. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this movie with you guys. It was a uh, a film I believe completely done by Netflix, not uh, just distributed, but um, funded and all that, uh, based off of a Stephen King novella. Um, before we get to that, if uh, you're new to the show, welcome. We're a horror podcast. We talk about all kinds of horror stuff, as you will see for the next however many hours and change. Um, and uh, as you heard, it's episode 389, so we've got a lot of prior back episodes that you can listen to all for free on your podcasting platform of choice, uh, along with bonus episodes, interviews, all kinds of cool stuff, so check it out. Um, fanoffmedia.com, they host our show along with a bunch of other cool ones. We're on social media, blah, 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 you got it, International at gmail.com, that's the only last piece of info you need. Um, all right, let's talk about what we got into this week. Um I'm going to be a little bit more strategic this time. And, well, wait, first of all, did I skip over an email or anything? We're good, right? <laughs> no, the the Malignant episode was such a hit that we got two messages. Uh, and Conjuring 3, nobody cared about. So no messages. <laughs> <this week. laughs> all right, sounds good. Oh, yeah, uh, Elio sent in an email, right? Was that last week? For Malignant, right, yeah. And I got a private message from, from a friend, Kenny. Uh, oh, cool. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that was that the was two messages episode. for Malignant. Sounds good. All right. Um, I'm going to be a bit more strategic this week, like I mentioned. Uh, I'm going to have Dave go first because I believe Andy and I can can have a just a sweet, smooth transition between our – I just knocked no, I my microphone over almost. <laughs> I was talking <laughs> with my hands. podcaster. Yeah, You're as so I'm smooth. talking about how great the transition is going to be. Um, <laughs> Dave, what did you get into this week? Uh, a whole lot of nothing except for, I guess, I mean, I already told you guys about this off air, but 
Um, I suppose, technically speaking, A Christmas Carol was considered at the time to be at least spooky. Um, So I'll mention... Ghosts in it. Yeah, yeah. So I'll mention that I watched the BBC... um, I can't remember what year it was now. I think it was like four or five years ago. Um, But basically, the the team behind A Play Goes Wrong, who also did Peter Pan Goes Wrong, and uh, subsequently got a show called The Goes Wrong Show, uh, did an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, um and uh i i watched that last night with my mum along with peter pan goes wrong and uh the christmas episode of the goes wrong show from the following year um very fun like lots and lots of fun very very funny indeed uh it's got a couple of well-known actors uh that uh in Derek jacoby um who initially plays scrooge before the um I think it's Cotley Polytechnic Drama Society, if I remember correctly, um, kind of run in and take over the production. And uh, they they drug him and put him in a coffin, which he bursts out of halfway through when when the ghost of Christmas yet to come turns up and uh, shows Scrooge little uh, uh, tiny Tim uh, laying in state on his parents' table. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just bursts out the coffin he's like why'd you put him in that coffin it's the only place to put him <laughs> I thought it would keep him contained um, so yeah it's it's a really really fun um, uh, adaptation and it sticks mostly to the uh, tried and true story of uh, A Christmas Carol as well so um, it's just a nice little fun twist on the uh, on, on the original story um, other than that, I've not really been watching much in the way of horror, mainly because of the fact that, uh, and it's not escaped anyone's attention, it's just rolled on to December, and in the UK at least, uh, we had on the Food Network something called Novembermus. Basically, the Food Network don't feel like programming an entire month, so they'd rather just put repeats of Christmas programming on for the month before Christmas. Um, or the month and two thirds before Christmas, I probably is is probably more accurate to say. So yeah, we've been watching a lot of uh, Jamie cooks for Christmas. Uh, Jamie being Jamie Oliver, the fat tongued prick that took away our turkey Twizzlers, <laughs> and basically forced the government into putting a sugar tax on soft drinks. So that's why you can't buy Coca Cola for anywhere near the same price as Diet Coke these days. Thanks so much, Jamie. I owe you one, and by one I mean a kick in the britches. Um, did like him once upon a time, and then he got holier than thou, as a lot of people And then he cared about your health. Well, no, yeah. no, he doesn't care about my health. Um, this is the thing. If he cared about my health, he would have probably devoted himself more to the proper education of children in school as to uh, things like nutrition and food preparation. But instead, he decided to take the heavy-handed approach of banning things. Which, look, in some instances, I'm totally behind just banning things to get them off of the street. Guns, for example, I think that you know if you ban the AR-15, I'm opening up a can of worms here, and I don't care because well, I'm not. Andy, in Andy set it. you up for the great like. This brings me to my next point, and a shuffling of of cards can be heard. <laughs> <laughs> the speech that you've clearly had ready. We went from turkey Twizzlers to guns. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a speech which has been in my seconds. heart for many many a year. <laughs> but like you know, I I think that if you've got something like assault weapons, then maybe you should be banning them to just stop them being on the street. I don't think turkey Twizzlers are killing as many people as as guns are, and that there are more important things to be devoting our time to. And frankly, sorry, I'd argue in the UK, turkey Twizzlers probably kill more people than guns do. 
Uh, no, this without is knowing true. the numbers. <laughs> no, I, I actually yes, that is absolutely true. Maybe if we look at it um, as a holistic like worldview, then uh, it, it balances out a little bit more. I know but, what turkey twizzlers are, but I prefer to believe that they're some sort of beast that only exists in the UK. Yeah, uh, and when they're killing yeah, from people, a new game and story violently, like, they come from the yeah. sewers, much like haggis, uh, which is a a, a small Scottish beastie with a steel pipe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was a character from Harry Potter, but I might, might be mistaken. You might be mistaken. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, uh, I, I just, uh, I've been watching a lot of Food Network and, and uh, hating on certain chefs and uh, liking the rest. Um, you know, Gordon oh, yeah. Ramsay. Christmas is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Like Gordon Ram- I, I It never fails to astonish me how Gordon Ramsay presents his TV shows just like... People take the piss out of him and do impressions of him and you feel like it's an exaggeration and then you watch an episode of his show and it's like... Right, take this, baste, in the oven, 250, five minutes, gorgeous. Like, that's literally how he presents the show. So, yeah, I've um, I, I've basically just been watching food programs and wishing that Brian Blessed was in every version of A Christmas Carol. Um, because, as we've already discussed, the greatest Britain uh, is actually Brian Blessed. Uh, I have... I have something to add to your uh, Peter Pan Goes Wrong thing. Oh, yes. Um, this will be a, a nice little update for you guys that happened off air. So earlier you mentioned this before we started recording, mm. and I jumped in with a quip and said, oh, that's the most British-sounding thing ever, <laughs> um, which you know got a chuckle out of you guys. Um, but then it wasn't until you started talking about it on air that I realized I misheard what you said when I was commenting <laughs> on it being the most British thing ever because I thought you said – a pizza pan goes wrong. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> That's why I was like, that sounds so British. Well, I have to watch In retrospect, a lot of food I was network. like, I get now why you guys were like, Peter Pan? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it, made, it made sense when I started talking about Food Network. Of course it did. Um, yeah, well, yeah, a pizza no. pan goes wrong. I was like, oh, okay. It's yeah, clearly j- something we don't have here. <laughs> J.M. Barry's stuffed crust. Um, yeah <laughs> no it was indeed peter pan uh but yeah it's it's funny shit i think uh if uh, anyone in the u.s has access to bbc america it might be available to stream through that i guess bbc america has like a streaming service of sorts uh I think so, yeah. it, it will be somewhere and there's always um you can always get a vpn and, and just sign up for iplayer i guess just make sure when they ask you if you've got a tv license you say yes it's an yeah. archaic structure that we have over here, but it works. <laughs> cool. Is that it for you this week? That's literally it. Yeah, I've been a, <laughs> I've been a lazy little boy. No, no, it's all good. Um, uh, I'm not ready. So, Andy, what'd you get? <laughs> yeah, sure. First thing, um, we mentioned in the past that our friend <laughs> Boozy is his name. Uh, uh, Boozy from the <laughs> people know Boozy. Come on, that's all right. From the yeah, yeah but. I in my mind was not Kenny. I mentioned Kenny already. All <laughs> uh, uh, right. <laughs> no, Boozy uh, from the Terror Table recently crowdfunded a short film and shot a short film, and oh, just shit. this week they released the first trailer for that short film. So, um, awesome. film is called Abhorrent. The YouTube channel is called Abhorrent Film, and you can go to that YouTube channel and watch the first like forty-eight second trailer for it, and it looks uh, very good. Great cinematography. I think I recognized at least one actor who was also in The Druid's Hand, mm-hmm. Mitch's and Jesse's film. Yeah. So, yeah, abhorrent. Go watch that trailer. Awesome. And then that other thing 
that David and I both watched this week, and it seems like many fans watched this week because it came out internationally just within the last couple of days is Godzilla Minus One, the new Japanese Godzilla movie from Toho Studios. I already saw David's letterbox rating because my wife yeah, showed I it to me. It. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I never look at these things at least when I know that we will still talk about the movie. Yeah. But Bianca I saw Bianca's score. <laughs> she yeah. she she showed it to me and said I'll give it the same. So, um, but David can speak for himself. I am in love with that movie. Very I good. had the greatest time since Babylon. Probably oh, wow. wow. The cinema. <laughs> yeah. We know, we both know how much you love Babylon. <laughs> now well, John, John Wick 4 was a similar uh, experience at the cinema this year. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think, um, Monster Energy Mango Loco is the secret, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my drink of choice for Man, movies at the cinema. <laughs> uh, this, when I went to see Babylon, was the very first time I ever had a Monster Energy drink. It was Monster it could Energy have been Mango Loco. Any movie you watched, that <laughs> it happened to be Babylon. <laughs> yes, and I had the greatest time and ever since. Uh, when, when I go to the cinema or when we watch a wrestling pay-per-view in the middle of the night, I'll have a <laughs> can of Monster Energy Mango Loco and I always have a great time. So maybe it's just oh, my yeah. drug. I love Mango uh, Loco. I tried it, the, I, I, I tried it uh, like a week or two ago and I, I drank it far too late at a uh, time of day and I couldn't sleep the entire night. It was, the, it was worth it. It tastes delicious. <laughs> so good. Unfortunately, we're not sponsored by Monster this no. week, but I'll we work on might it, boys. be next week. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, no, two days ago, Friday, um, at work, uh, I, I, over Teams, I texted with a with a colleague of mine, and, and he said casually, well, the, 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 the snow outside puts him in a good mood. And I said, I have a can of Monster in my rucksack, in my backpack, and I will take it to the cinema later on for a monster movie, so that puts me in a good mood. <laughs> so, taking yeah. a can of monster to a monster movie was a good choice. No, a fantastic movie. Literally, I was sitting in the cinema feeling every emotion there is, I guess, and every mo yeah. emotion that the movie manipulated me into. <laughs> but I was, at times, wide-eyed like a little kid, smiling from left to right, crying at the end of the movie <laughs> i had the greatest time with this movie it looks fantastic the characters are all lovely the the monster obviously is great the effects are very good and everyone who likes godzilla needs to watch this movie david what do you think uh yeah i i, I echo all of that um it's it's definitely one i, I think if you're i wondered how how much at this point the amount of of Asian cinema I've seen, specifically Japanese filmmaking, and uh, and being you know more familiar with the acting style or delivery or the style of comedy or cultural differences stuff like that, um, all of all of that that I've watched so far definitely I think helped me just everything land in this movie because there's there's definitely there are definitely things that I think if if all you've watched is you know the American Godzilla movies and if you went and watched this one there might be stuff where tonally it feels a lot different and it's because it is um obviously japan has 
this huge history with Godzilla as a mascot and, and there's so many versions and we've got stuff going on with legendary pictures in America and it's, it's, it's huge, no pun intended. Um, but this is like, I probably said this about Shin Godzilla too, but in this one in such a different way, it's such a Japanese movie, but like, mm-hmm. um, not even just the production, but the, the plot, the characters, like it, it taps into, um, specific, themes and ideas from world war two from japan um that i thought were it just every every decision that they made enhanced the movie like it like took it up another notch usually with with these movies i feel like if the monster stuff if the kaiju stuff is good um at least for me like it's usually a win overall if there's more to it than that then you know we're talking stuff like kong skull island or um since i'm now a uh, a big missionary for the the Godzilla 2014 or whatever year it was um won that one for me too like there are all these things that get that they do with it that are go beyond just the expectation of having a monster um that ratcheted it up uh and and this is absolutely i think one of those cases where it's it absolutely like it's it's a character drama for sure um they put a lot of of effort and time and and care into the characters into the performances of these characters um but then they put i felt an equal amount of time and care into the fact that it's a godzilla movie uh so that it it was it's one of those weird for me at least it was one of those weird things where it's like this has substance and it has um it has nuance or i might have layers or whatever else to it but at the same time it is such a crowd pleaser movie um and in like the the best ways where you know you they're they're giving you these awesome things but they're also still taking it um seriously in terms of the character arcs i don't know if that makes sense Hmm. but it's uh i love the design of godzilla i love the way that they the scenes that they had with him um the variety of that Um, if you've seen the trailer you've seen there's there's a lot of stuff in the water which is i thought was awesome uh and it it like grounds the conflict down to this like <laughs> very personal sort of fight in one scene where it's just these dudes on a boat um versus Godzilla chasing them and again not a spoiler it's if you've seen the trailer you've seen that shot I think they also released part of that scene um but then there's a lot of stuff that's not in the trailer that was in the movie that <laughs> had me um just involuntarily reacting in the theater of like oh holy shit <laughs> and stuff like that where I, stuff I'd never seen in a Godzilla movie before, specifically with Godzilla, um, and not anything like wildly breaking, you know, conventions of of the character or anything. But uh, I think kind of maybe new ways of showcasing stuff or, or points of view or whatever else. Yeah, I I loved it too. I thought it was great. Um, and in the best ways, it some of the supporting characters reminded me of how much I almost instantly fall in love. Um, with the way that uh, Naoki Urasawa draws faces. Uh, Dude, I was thinking about Urasawa so much watching this movie. <laughs> Those characters on that boat felt yeah. so much like his characters. Yeah. I still want you guys to read Asadora because it reminded yeah. me of, of, of those characters so much. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy you're, you're saying that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, they and and it's and that's totally a compliment. I, like it was a it was a weird thing at first where I was like, all right, they remind me so much of these other characters. Like, is that because 
uh, I'm American and don't see enough, but it's, it's, it's not that it's, it's the, it literally is the character and the humanity that, uh, Urasawa pours into. He's just one of the best illustrators ever. I think is, oh, yeah. is a big part of it. Absolutely. So the, the, yeah, you can just see so much instantly. Um, I could go on and on about that. Scott McCloud talks about it a ton and understanding comics and how our, with less, less information on the page, our brain has to fill in more and that, he uses an example with faces in terms of, you know, removing detail, adding detail and, and how our brain processes that information. And Ursna was one of those guys for me where I'm like, I, I don't know how you're doing this. <laughs> like, I don't know how you're, you're, you're conveying this level of, of expertise with using just what seems like the, it's, it's not minimalist art, but just yeah, anyway, crazy stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, totally. I felt the exact same way. And, Almost, yeah, again, almost instantaneously, I fell in love with the characters in this film, I think, for a lot of the same reasons. And they, they, they work the dynamics of the guys on the boat really well, I thought, where there's there's always a good mix of, like, uh, varying emotions, and it always feels in tune with who each of those guys are. Um, but then there's also the sense that they all love each other, which I thought was awesome. Like, there's, yeah. there's no sort of, um, like, gruff... Um, like it, it's a film that clearly has, it's filled with a lot of characters who are soldiers, um, who are trying to protect, you know, their city and, and fight against Godzilla and everything else. But it's also a film that has some like pretty tremendous themes of, of love and of support. And, um, yeah, I should probably yeah, shut up family and community and, and yeah, inner personal demons and overcoming those demons. And, and there's so much in there. I think I'm I'm very happy to see that it seems people really like that movie because I was a little bit worried that and I'm I'm I think it would would be understandable criticism if you'd say that some of those characters are very cliched like the the scientist with the weird hair and the small glasses and, and so and, <laughs> but yeah, yeah th th those are <clears throat> stereotypes or archetypes but um it it to me it, it it worked absolutely the the music of course was fantastic mm -hmm. and and they i was thinking really well <clears throat> i was thinking before i watched the movie will they use the godzilla theme and they oh, sorry i stepped stupid. on your point <laughs> not to and and still before watching the movie i thought to myself that theme that godzilla theme is one of the strongest movie score pieces of all time mm -hmm. when you use when that movie uh, when that music comes on you immediately want to punch your fist in the air yeah. it is it is such a exclamation mark of a <laughs> of a musical piece uh and and th that thing came on in the movie And I was sitting there. Yes, <laughs> it's like, it's like I don't know your your Independence Day moment. Um, <laughs> yep. I, I I don't know. I don't think there's there's many other pieces of of movie scores that have the same or, or force you to have the same reaction like the like the Godzilla theme because it is so specifically linked to that character, of course, to those yeah. <laughs> movies. But it just it just works. It, it is every time. And it And it works in in pretty much all of the all of the forms that they've they've done with Godzilla because there's always you know depending on the Godzilla movie he's either a defender or a savior or he's fighting other monsters to protect humanity or 
Um, ones like this one where it's just kind of he's just pissed off and stomping on shit <laughs> like it's it's uh it's, it's not really more than that it's this thing that they have to defend themselves from but the theme always works and i think especially picking what sections of it they use at certain times um whereas in this one like it it also has like they focus a lot on scale at times in this movie too so i think especially in this movie the framing of when they use it and how they use it it's a lot more it inspires awe with the normal feelings, but also kind of dread. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. shit, this is bad. <laughs> like, this isn't a movie where, you know, you're, you've got people running around and doing Avengers-level shit, saving people. Like, this is, if he's here, we have to leave or else we'll die. And so when that music kicks in, um, yeah, it's great. Another thing I thought about, <laughs> it's so weird. I I normally don't pay a ton of attention to social media or anything anymore at this point. Um, but I am, I wouldn't say addicted. I get on there maybe a few times a week at most. Um, but a girl I was talking to for a while got me on TikTok. She was sending me a bunch of TikTok. So I, I, I'm on there every once in a while. And so you hear a lot of the same, like whatever trends are going on or, um, you know, people use the same sound when they're reposting. I sound like a a fucking dad explaining TikTok, but just in case anyone doesn't know. (laughs) So you hear a lot of the same exact sounds because people are using the same tracks, right? So watching Godzilla uh, minus one, there was a a, a point where that score was coming on and my mind kept taking the next. So the... like that's the how it is in the in the movie but there's a tiktok trend that shows like people suddenly doing at least the examples i've seen like suddenly doing badass stuff or suddenly doing stuff where it's like you know you better not mess with me like kind of energy or whatever else and it's it's that godzilla cue but added with like um i don't know huge bass and and drums and extra effects added to it they've obviously remixed that part but once it clicked i was like man that's so crazy because there's the amount there's there's so many people that i'm assuming millions that have heard (laughs) this track in a totally different context and and probably have no idea what it's from um but it's it's strange how especially in like this you know, modern era. And the more I talk, the older I sound, but just the way that these sounds end up living on and, and becoming different things. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was so strange the whole time I was waiting for it to be like, dum, 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 dum. and I was like, Holy shit, that's just a TikTok remix. <laughs> like it's, it's gotten into my head, but yeah, it's the Godzilla, Godzilla theme. Um, the, I think now it's playing at least in the U S wider. Like it's, you can actually, I think, Andy, did you see, like, a one-night event type deal? So, at first, they only sold tickets for one screening. And it almost sold out, I think. <clears throat> oh, nice. Um, we we had actually, at first, tickets to that screening. And then, um, when... And then that was weeks weeks before. But then when the actual week... Um, the the programming for the actual week was released. They had added uh, like a, a proper schedule, like three screenings per day. Oh, nice! Um, okay, cool. so we changed our tickets to the first screening because there were <laughs> fewer people. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they they at least I think it's it's at least for this week they they have three screenings per day. Okay, we don't have yeah, any screenings until December the fifteenth. 
because of course okay. we fucking don't. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Another I, I tried benefit. looking it up because I, I it, when I knew that David um, was going to see it, I thought maybe we could do an episode on it if, if Dave had the opportunity to see it, but I couldn't any, find any, any screenings in your I mean, I'm going to watch it for sure, but yeah. um, they, they have... Um, so it looks like it's a Cineworld exclusive in the UK. I hate that. I absolutely hate it when films... Theater chain? Yeah. Um, okay. I, I think they're a subsidiary of oh god which one was it there's a there's a chain in america which cineworld is like a subsidiary of um and um every now and then you get this where a film will only be released on one chain and i'm like i i fucking hate that because i would much rather go to my local um every man and watch it there in like supreme comfort with amc could (laughs) be amc they, that's the only theater chain I've noticed here. And I I don't know that I've seen it for a while, but I remember I watched that Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse or whatever, mm. that like horror comedy movie. It wasn't very good. Um, we had to drive to an AMC theater because it only played at that chain. And I yeah. remember at the time being like, that's okay. I it's hope this isn't going to be a trend. It's <laughs> yeah. dumb. But at the end of the day, if you're going to sign exclusive agreements and you're going to get your money, right. however you get your money, so, I, you know, whatever. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I've looked a week ahead at other chains and I've not seen anything about Godzilla. So as far as I can tell, it's an exclusive with Cineworld. What's really annoying, um, not if you're a, a card holder with Cineworld. You know how like all the cinema chains went with this uh, subscription model a few years ago where like you pay 15, 20 quid a month and you can yeah. watch unlimited movies. Uh, one of the benefits of being a member is that you get access to an early screening of Godzilla Minus One on the 11th, which is still like a, a week and a half after the rest of the world gets to see it. So, yeah. you know. Well, it was it, announced as an international release on December 1st. So, um, Oh, yeah, but international doesn't mean yeah. everywhere, does it? It just means in more than one country. Yeah, because it's <laughs> on planet, as we realized earlier. Uh, yeah, populated by a bunch of fucking mouth-breathing idiots. <laughs> Apparently, um, don't Andy, don't don't start him again. Don't I'm gonna get, I'm, I'm getting riled, I'm getting riled oh, up. Jamie I'm, Oliver, that bastard. I'm, I've not <laughs> totally no. responsible. For no, it's not even that. I've, I've not been able to watch. Uh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here this year because there's a certain person who cheer was a cheerleader for a ground-changing uh, political decision in 2016. Who, you mean uh, the man who put cunt in country? Yes. <laughs> see, see, Andy just delivers it so easily. Didn't, no I mean, no fluffing or anything. You said it first. I'm just repeating. Yeah, but you distilled it down to the perfect soundbite. Um, well, I think also you're both European, so that word it just flows differently than it does over here. Oi, oi, I can't. Said that. I'm, I'm, I'm German. I can say every English word and, and uh, say I don't know what it means. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, I, I've I've not had much to be happy about this uh, this month except for um, not even the bloody Food Channel for God's sake. I'm just gonna I'm gonna <laughs> don't, put don't loop back. Don't uh, do no, it. No, it's all right. I'm just gonna when we're done here, I'm just gonna put some Fanny Craddock on television and I'm gonna be happy. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheer myself up. Anyway, um, yeah, we don't get to watch it until the fifteenth, but I will. That's a Friday. Uh, assuming I don't have anything else happening on that Friday, I'm going to watch it either. Is a two thirty or a five thirty? So I'll I'll get one of them. I'll get one of them. But I, I, I mean, I don't want to overhype it at all. Obviously, but I I'm, I feel pretty confident you'll like it. <laughs> I mean, I've seen like the trailer, it's... so I'm already yeah. hyped. <laughs> yeah. That's you the can't. thing. I watched the trailer, and I was I was a little. I I hoped that the movie would deliver what I was promised in the trailer, but yeah. I wasn't sure it would. 
Yeah. But afterwards, I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm very happy that the movie actually is as good as I hoped it'd be from the trailer." I'm just a hopeless fool when it comes to trailers. I believe them all the time. You know, <laughs> I'm terrible. It's very self-aware. It's a very self-aware observation. Yeah, and the problem is, I'm aware of the fact, but I just can't stop myself. I'm just like, sure. God damn it! Like, I shouldn't be excited, but here I am being excited, and it always happens. Well, kaiju. I mean, you could put a kaiju in any trailer, and I'm going to be like, well, shit. I have to at least figure out what's going on with this. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> if not, just watch it. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine if they had put a kaiju in the middle of Love Actually? Good God Almighty, what an amazing <laughs> sequence that would have been. Well, hilariously, I, what I read was uh, the director of this film, writer and director, he has directed uh, two other prior instances of Godzilla and other things. Um, I think one of them was like a ride or something. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was uh, another film he directed that was like the first official cameo of Godzilla in something else. <laughs> So oh, that, that is kind of exactly what I just accidentally made a joke about <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, he also made a movie. His like second movie was a movie I watched so much when I was a kid. Probably, let me think now, I would have been probably 14, 14 or 15, um, called Returner. Have either of you guys seen that? I it's ringing a like bell, but I don't think... 2002, I've... maybe. Not sure I've um, seen it. Yeah. It's, 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 you know pretty close post matrix so there's a lot of bullet time in it <laughs> but of course. it's got um is it takeshi kaneshiro who i also at the time knew from onimusha 3 which they had it was like an early kind of like actors playing characters in a video game because it was him and jean renault that you played as i mean they're playing characters not themselves but um anyway it was this movie i watched over and over and over again so it was crazy looking up his filmography and being like holy crap this dude <laughs> made a huge movie for me when i was younger and um, Jean Reno was in the original American Godzilla, so that's true. Full circle, man. Full that's circle. That's true. Also, uh... an excellent film. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I all I was going to say earlier was like I, I saw a, a preview screening, whatever type of deal, um, where I mean anybody could go see it, but it was just they had limited showings. But then, from what I've seen, it's expanded a lot more, at least around me. And I'm in Indiana, so odds are. You can probably, if you're interested in seeing it and you're in the U.S., you can probably find a theater somewhere nearby. It doesn't seem like it's um, only playing in, like, you know, art house type deals or whatever, mm. which is usually the case for foreign films around here um, in the Midwest. Oh. But, uh, yeah. Speaking of genre, no, did I ever mention the fact that I watched that Onimusha anime? Is that out? Yeah, on Netflix, yeah. What? I thought this was something that was coming out. Andy sent me a video about this recently. <laughs> yeah, like well, I can't remember if it was this week or last week I watched it, but it's good. No, oh, cool. Well, yeah. is there is there horror stuff in it? Like there is, know? there is. I mean, Onimusha nice. only literally means demon or devil. Right. So the, yeah. the thing I saw that Andy sent over because there is a um, um, an artist that we like. Oh, what's his name, Andy? Uh, Kim um, Yungi. Yes who worked as like a character designer or something on it, I think. But, so the trailer I saw, oh, the, the clip I saw was, didn't, I don't think had any monsters, but it was also not like an official trailer. It was some sort of, maybe it was a clip or behind mm. the scenes or something. Uh, it looked awesome, but I wondered if they were doing something different or if it was just, I they weren't showing the, the horror-y things. I think that's probably it, yeah. Cool. But yeah, very good. Definitely worth people's time. Um, very gory, very uh, much in line with what I... I've never actually played an Onimusha game. I very nearly did when they made oh, the nice. third one with the whole time-slipping thing with Jean Reno. Um, 
Uh, but that's the one I've played the most. I, well, I beat <laughs> the course. first one too, but I, I beat the first one. I played the second one a little. I beat the first one, which was basically Resident Evil, but with like katanas and shit. Yeah. And then the third one I beat and then replayed and beat and replayed. That one I liked a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was it was much more like later Resident Evil where the horror was injected with a healthy dose of whatever testosterone they use on the Fast and Furious movies where it becomes sort of absurd action um, alongside the horror. Of course. So yeah. <laughs> that made it replayable. Anyway, huge tangent. Um, so, yeah, Godzilla, big, big hit around here on the on the Eerie crew. I'm sure we'll be with Dave and obviously tell us once you see it too, Dave. Um, let's see. What did I – Thanksgiving, that was last week, the movie, also the holiday. Um, I guess – did I mention Bo is Afraid last week? I didn't, right? Nope. Not the Ari Aster film. Nope, you didn't. I'm not – I'm not going to really talk about it too much. Uh, it's horror is one of its many listed genres. Um, so it's one of those type of deals. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I told Austin, uh, our friend who I mention all the time, uh, that he would also like it because I know he has the similar thing that I do, which is um, there's a part of us that's read. That's pretty ready to watch some, some indulgent, art house auteur director bullshit <laughs> that those kinds of movies that inevitably come out every once in a while. Um, so at the same time, I understand how that would be a massive turnoff to other people. So I did like it quite a bit. Uh, horror is definitely one slice of it in terms of genre, uh, but it's also drama, like dark comedy and uh, it, it's a bunch of different things. It is very self-indulgent, maybe not self-indulgent, but it is very indulgent. Uh, it's like three hours long. Um, there's just all kinds of weird, crazy sort of like nightmarish vibes to it. Um, so I, I can't think of a movie I saw this year, maybe more polarizing that than with this one. So do I recommend it? Uh, maybe I don't know who I'm recommending it to. Yes. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but, uh, it was, it was a horror movie at times. So I'll mention that quickly. Um, uh, and then I also watched a, another Stephen King adaptation. Um, one that's more recent, the boogeyman from 2023 this year. Um, I don't think either of you guys have seen this, have you? Only the trailer. Um, no, I, I'm familiar with the Boogeyman, the wrestler, but uh, not the not, not the book or movie. Not also, him, Stephen King that creation. A cool uh, twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this is directed by Rob. I'm a, it's, I'm assuming you pronounce his last name Savage, um, but he uh, he directed Ooh, Savage. Yeah. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Macho Man Rob Savage uh, directed uh, his first film, Host, which I was a big fan of. That was the COVID sort of uh, one-hour, real tight, like haunting, found um, like computer screen, Zoom drama, whatever. Uh, I went into that one probably pretty cynically, um, like most people did, and it was very good. I really liked it. He did Dash Cam, which I also liked, although that one was one of those sort of malignant deals where they just really went went for it and it had you know different results um so this is his first like uh i think well no i think the blum i think dash cam was a blumhouse movie but this is his first more quote-unquote traditional it's not found footage it's not you know there's no gimmick to it it's an adaptation of a stephen king short story um i liked it uh, it's good it's well made um well i should say like it's it's competently too well made depending on what component of it like it's it's never it's never poorly done it's something we've seen a lot before um but for me and this is a plus for me it's a negative for others 
uh, it's a solid PG-13 horror movie, which I think is what we've talked about on the past isn't something that there's necessarily a ton of. And mm-hmm. depending, like, if you've got kids or, or you're introducing someone to horror or whatever else, um, sometimes that's, like, a really valuable, <laughs> like, sort of little subgenre. Um, and there are so many bad ones. So I guess the same thing with, with horror in general. Um, so whenever there is something like Happy Death Day or, you know, one of these PG-13 deals that is pretty solid, there is part of me that's excited for that um, because there was, there were movies like that growing up for me that, that kept my interest in horror, whether they were good or bad necessarily. Uh, and this one's solid. Uh, Idea-wise, I mean, it's there's a boogeyman and... <laughs> it's kind of lights outy not not exactly there's a, a component of the dark that it it fears uh chris messina is a therapist and he's trying to hold his family together again i mean it's very much the structure and the framework of a, a lot of other movies like it um but there's a there's a creature design component which um i would have liked to see a little bit more of they use the dark a lot um but when you do see it it looks very cool uh and it's not a I think this is clear in the trailer too. It's it's not like a haunting or like a ghost type of deal or you know possess like it's it's a fucking monster <laughs> like it's an actual like crawling around physical um, creature. Uh, there's a supernatural component to it, but it's like a yeah, it's it's made out of, of of flesh and things you can touch. So that sounded a lot more sexier than I meant it. Not like that, um, but yeah, it's it's good. The design of it was cool and. Um, it's just hard to be like, everyone go see this, because you've probably seen it already <laughs> multiple times in different variations. Um, but yeah, if it's maybe if it is, ends up on a streaming channel or whatever, um, worth a watch. There's some there's some interesting moments and camera moves and stuff. It feels like something where, you know, he's definitely trying new things and the projects are getting bigger and bigger, etc. So uh, that's it for me this week. So we can jump from... Uh, that Stephen King into another Stephen King. If you guys are all ready well, for this, same Stephen King, different project. <laughs> True. <laughs> Very good point, Dave. <laughs> this is Stephen King with a V. Uh, completely different guy. Uh, That's how no, they I, used to spell him in the early days. No, this is this is which when, is actually true. It's it's I like just when, when, you know I, HMV have got all those like rip off DVDs <laughs> when like uh, the Conjuring comes out and so you get yeah. the Conjuring Nun and it's like just a Transmorphers when Transmorphers yeah was yeah out. it's yeah. like that's basically their literary version they've got Stephen with a V and he just punches out these really pulpy horror <laughs> novels that anyone could write in an afternoon with Steph a copy King. Of, yeah I. Uh, if you look up I, early I, articles on Stephen King, you will find... I was going to say, I didn't know that with V. So was it ever I, on the books? I don't think so. Um, okay. But just this week, uh, because I listened to a few old episodes of the KingCast, or re-listened to a few old episodes of the KingCast, and they mentioned the original Washington Post article where they officially revealed that Stephen King is Richard Bachman. That oh, article is from, I think, 1985, and they spell Stephen with a V. Ooh. Interesting. Maybe that was another persona. It was the days before Google when you could check how to spell someone's name by searching for it with either spelling. <laughs> That's a very practical answer, Dave, but I prefer to think that Stephen <laughs> with a V is another one of his personas. <laughs> Look, if I can't take the fun out of a conversation, then why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> because you um, put the fun in fun tree. There we go. Uh... <laughs> amazing callback 
full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, do you want to? Well, I'll, I'll read the little Wikipedia thing and then. Um, uh, 1922, 2017 American horror drama film written and directed by Zach Hilditch based on Stephen King's 2010 novella of the same name, which I believe was in Full Dark No Stars, along with some other novellas. Um, it's got Thomas Jane, Neil McDonough, Molly Parker. It was released on Netflix on October 2017. Um, Andy, we talked a little bit about this off air, um, but yeah, do you want to mention how this kind of came about? Not the movie, sure. but us talking about it. <laughs> Tell us there about is, the production. You were there. <laughs> there is an origin story to this that is actually more incidental than than it was actually planned. But some years ago, I saw this movie, These Final Hours, at the Fantasy Film Fest, Australian movie, uh, with a fantastic end-of-the-world movie, um, uh, which I've probably mentioned back then and which we should do an episode on. Anyways, so over the course of the past years, Netflix released several original productions, horror movies, and one of those was 1922. Another one was the, a movie called Rattlesnake. I was aware of them being on Netflix. I had put them on my list and wanted to see them at some point. And then at some point, because as I often do, doing research which movie we could do on on Eerie. I look through Netflix because that is the one streaming service that we all have subscriptions to. And and so these movies come up from time to time on, on my on my research. And at some point I realized that 1922 and Rattlesnake are both directed by the same director who is the director of the movie These Final Hours. And I like that movie, or I actually love that movie. Great movie. So yeah, actually, so there's there's a connection between even... all these movies which I wasn't aware of up until maybe I don't know a year ago or two. <laughs> so yeah, recently when I when I um, suggested movies to the other two guys to do on Eerie, I suggested Rattlesnake and 1922, and we picked 1922. It it goes back even further than that, I think, because uh, I've also seen these final hours, and I watched it um, during the month slash period when I was started getting really into horror and you were giving me recommendations from film festivals and stuff um, on, on Facebook, I think it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one of them. So I watched it back then. Uh, I haven't seen it, it since then. So it even predates uh, Eerie, but it was That's one possible. of the ones in that. I think it was, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, could have been 2014. I, yeah. I watched it in a house that we've never recorded Eerie in. Um, so that's the only reason I've, I'm thinking about it that way. But uh, it also has Sarah Snook in it, who has since gone on to become um, pretty, you know, big star. She's on Succession, amazing actress, and um, I did not know her at the time, obviously. But I, I know, I remember her character in it. Um, but yeah, we should do it on the show anyway. Um, I'm excited to talk about this movie with you guys. Uh, <laughs> I, I had not read the novella. Did either of you guys? No. no. Okay, um, and I I listened to another or to a proper Stephen King podcast that reviewed this movie at the time when it came out and did an interview with the director and at least two of the three hosts have not read the novella. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> did you go back and listen to that this week or no? Uh, yeah, just last night. I uh, actually I I I used it to fall asleep too, so I did not hear all of the episode, but I uh, just chunks of it. it. Sounds interesting. Okay, but one one um, one one interesting thing b- b- 
before I forget, um, it, during a, a brief moment that I was awake, <laughs> I guess, uh, <laughs> they talked about, because they talk about Thomas Jane and, and how, how he portrays that character and the movie mm -hmm. being set in, in the South and stuff. And one of them says, imagine if the movie was directed by Jeff Nichols and Michael Shannon played that role. Oh, and boy. <laughs> With David and myself, huge Jeff Nichols fans, and that stuck yeah. in my mind because I th I thought that would work. <laughs> yep, yep. I made some joke about uh, wasn't it the Malignant episode? Is like, what if Jeff Nichols? Unfortunately, this is the situation. Where <laughs> if Jeff Nichols directed it, I'm like, oh, I do want to see that really bad. Like, it wouldn't be. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I uh, le okay. So let's 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 lead off with overall thoughts. I I, I can kick us off here. I I actually really like this movie. <laughs> I thought it was uh was pretty well done. I I don't know if that's because my expectations were not not low. That scared the shit out of me. Is that you're talking? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I've I've currently for the listeners at home who it are just like recovering. One of you fucking barked at me. <laughs> it was right in my ears. Um, yeah. That's our new thing. You weren't on an episode last week, but Dave and I will do that now. When someone says something that we just like, we'll just bark loudly into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I've got her sitting on my lap because um, she she doesn't like uh, when I'm podcasting. Uh, she's much like Aya, uh, if anyone remembers my references to my uh, my cat that we lost a, a little while ago. Um, whenever I start podcasting is the very moment that she decides that I am not allowed to do my own thing, that I have to pay full attention to her. So she's currently sitting on my lap, and unfortunately that puts her about six inches from the mic. <laughs> and she just saw her. She just, Man. She just saw a bird land in the on the grass outside and she's i was very i was in the that. zone thinking about how i was structuring my senses and it felt like i got tased i'm so sorry i'm going to mute <laughs> no, myself fine. until you it throw over funny. to me now <laughs> no, no no you're good you're good you're good uh, i didn't mention what the movie's about let me briefly say that too uh i think i don't know that this is i mean we don't really do spoiler warnings or anything but i, I would imagine this is pretty much baked into the the idea of what the story's even about. It's about a guy who kills his wife <laughs> and has his son uh, help him. And the reasons are for uh, greed, for land, money, etc. She's, you know, she has other ideas of what she wants to do. And in 1922, it's clear that the um, the gender roles are, are, are pretty well defined in an, an awful way and in an expected way by all of the men, including Thomas Jane's character, who's named, uh, it's like Wilfton. Uh, Wilfred, Wilfred Wilfton, Wilfred James, <laughs> Wilfred James, Wilf. Um, and so, yeah, movie unfolds from there, and it's a Stephen King story that is not the stand. It's not Dark Tower. It's not you know even something like Carrie. Like it's a it's a small, a pretty small story. Um, are there supernatural elements in it? Maybe we can talk about that. Obviously, that the film I think definitely portrays it that way. Uh, from what I've read. The novella, I think, maybe leans a little bit more into the idea that maybe, you know, he was going crazy. It was all in his head. Could be both. I think the film kind of uh, works that way, too. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not a huge bombastic story. The I want to go around before I get too far into it um, and, and and see what you guys thought, too, though. So, uh, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I liked it too. I think it's very well made. It looks very nice. Um, it mostly takes place on that farm and, and with just a minimal amount of actors. But I think Zach Hilditch, the director, made the most out of that 
situation, out of that location and uh, the cast of characters. This is one of those movies where I felt like, as a viewer, you can absolutely sense that this is not a not a movie <laughs> in the sense that it is uh it, damn it, the, no one tags zach hilditch when we post this on uh, <laughs> social media <laughs> no what i mean is there's no, I sometimes sometimes you watch a movie that is adapted from a, a literary story and you feel it like mm-hmm. um what's the the christopher nolan magic um movie the prestige, prestige. That was the kind of movie where I felt this very much has the structure of a book. It is adapted from a book, and it feels like it. And with 1922, I had the same feeling. We have the the first-person narration, um, the whole structuring of the thing, and it very much feels like it's an adaptation of a story that was originally printed in a book. Um, So it is not cinematic in that way. Um, but it presents that literary story in a very nice cinematic fashion. Yeah. Of course, within the constraints of almost one location and three characters. Um, It is at times very slow, um, which, depending on, on your mood of the day, can become an issue. Uh, where you might think this has pacing problems on a different day, you might think no, this works just fine. Um, so I'm I'm not gonna say this is a bad thing or or that it is a problem with the movie. I think that's just wh- where your focus is <laughs> on any given day. Um, Thomas Jane's performance is. He's not Nicolas Cage, but <laughs> Thomas Jane has tendencies to be very specific and interesting in in his performances. I'm 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 saying like I've seen every Thomas Jane thing, which I haven't. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I I was I was wondering, can't you move your jaw? Um, <laughs> <laughs> is this a decision of the character or is this the actor is your job broken making the voice? <laughs> maybe try um pulling your teeth apart i don't know um <laughs> it's, it was an interesting choice anyways uh yeah I, I i i like the movie i think it's good um it can be a bit long if if you're not patient dave what's your thoughts yeah, I am. Um, actually, I, I not. I didn't really think about it at the time, but you mentioning about the way that he delivers his lines and and kind of like through gritted teeth, um, it, it felt to me like this was a man who was constantly very, very angry, and I wonder if that is something that was brought about by that performance and and by the the choices, because I've seen him in other things where he's not delivered lines like that so clearly this is a choice he's made um what i actually (laughs) uh what i really liked about this film actually was the fact that i could tell that it was based on something that stephen king had written mainly because there's a there's a passage 
where um the the mother is drunk and she's talking to um her son about uh you know you 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 can go to the happy place but don't go in blah 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 and like she uses all of these euphemisms and all of these sayings that I've never heard anyone ever uh, ever say before <laughs> but immediately i was transported to the world of the of the dark tower and you know there are references where they they talk about uh, an unborn baby as being a chap and like that is something which plays heavily into uh, a character that is referred to several times throughout the the later books that they, they use the term chap where it comes to babies and unborn babies and things like that and and like immediately it just kind of like I was, I was I just thought to myself ah nice okay they've retained a decent amount of the language that was used in the book I would imagine because you don't just decide to refer to a baby as a chap unless there's there's a there's a reason for it you know um some uh, go on so I was just going to say cuz this is something I think about a lot with Stephen King's dialogue and I don't want to forget it it won't really be relevant probably ever in any other part of this conversation <laughs> <laughs> so I should mention it now it makes me because he has that thing, right? And and we've talked about this before. Like, uh, it it's translated through in some of the movies. We did an episode on, um, I think a few adaptations of King uh, some years ago. One of them was Christine, and they say, "Is it shitter? Is that the like hmm. swear they call each other shitters and stuff?" Um, it, which no one says, at, le- at least no one I've ever heard. And and I've heard seen enough people comment on that being a weird thing that it definitely doesn't seem like a normal piece of slang in another one of those kind of like kingisms or whatever mm. but a lot of times i wonder because i i don't know about you guys i usually maybe roll my eyes is too strong of a reaction it, it, it never hits me as like amazing writing when he does the weird kind of dialogue thing but sometimes i wonder if like decades from now people going back and reading it some of that stuff will hit how like lovecraft or poe and i'm not comparing them in quality but just like some of the the dialogue or the references or the slang to mm. where we read it now and we're just like what what does this mean <laughs> like this is just if if it will just seem archaic or yeah. how much of the stuff do we read that we kind of assume is antiquated language was maybe just them uh, a quirk of their writing or them being you know weirdos or or whatever else <laughs> yeah. however you want to describe it cuz king has that thing like he, he does he, i did not mean for that to rhyme that's not a catchphrase i'm going to start saying no. um but he has <laughs> he has that quirk and you're totally right like it, once it pops out it's very recognizable cuz it's something he likes to do mm. but uh, um and, some... and it's really only that part in the movie from what i remember it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and something else which uh, I, I like about it, though, is that even though hey, we like, got a theme going this week. Sorry, oh. let me mute my mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do I so, need to get a dog? You need to get so a dog. So that I can Andy. be part of <laughs> yeah, this game? We're, we're, we're a dog cast now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah. So something else that I really like about uh, King's writing, um, and, and it doesn't mean that I'm saying, oh, he's a genius level writer and no one else does this or anything like that, but... Um, even though it's quite clear that he does make certain sayings up, it doesn't feel to me like it's outside the realm of possibility that it's not made up and it is actually something that people say. And it does feel natural. Um, maybe in, maybe in everybody way. in Maine just talks weird as fuck and I don't know Could it. be. Like they all say all these things. Could be, you know, but... <laughs> My I, sister lives in Maine. I, I, I just want one other person in the world to to wish me long days and pleasant evenings, and you know, and then I'll, I'll be happy. And there's a reference <laughs> that Andy will get in a couple of months. Um, I've read the two books 
Oh, there like you go. Years ago, he, he knows. So. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have remembered. I honestly, there is stuff from the first few books that I've been reading them so long now that I do not remember certain characters was, when they're referenced. I was on eBay the other night looking for the whole set because. Oh you guys yeah. Them. Now, now I'm like, oh, they're going to be reading these books. Should I read them too? I, I, I won't talk in about full effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the best talking to other people about books you're reading at the same time. Like, yeah, I'm probably going to pick the rest of them up because I I um, got the first few segue a book club. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a segue. This is this is a uh, a divergence. Um, the the, the Tenzin first... boys are back in. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, I, uh, I I got the first few out of the library, so I don't actually own the first three or four books, but I do own the rest of them. So I'm probably going to pick the rest up at some point. So I've got a complete collection that I can refer to in the fullness of time. I'm probably going to finish the last one and then go back to reading them from the start again. Um, I've got a feeling that that might work out quite nicely. But anyway, um, the pacing I actually enjoyed, and it's unlike me because, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan. I'm going to power through that, Poppy. Shut up. Um, uh, I'm not the, always the biggest fan of, of films that take an age to get somewhere. But with this one, it really suited the story that they were telling. Um, like the, the fact that everything was plodding along at an almost a glacial pace really enhanced the tension between uh, Thomas Jane's character and his son. And you could see that relationship disintegrating before your eyes very, very quickly, it seemed. But it took a long... It, I, I don't know if this makes sense. It disintegrated quickly, but it took a long time to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Kind of. I don't know. Um, yeah. Takes years to become an overnight success. It does. There you go. <laughs> um, special effects were really good. The makeup effects on the wife when she's uh, down in the well, I thought were excellent. Um, there's a couple of jump scares that, again, I'm not massively down on these particular ones because it's a visual thing like when they pull the cover back on the sun when he's brought back to town and he's got no eyelids or lips or eyes like that was a really effective uh, little scare um and uh yeah it's i i I really enjoyed this one i i can't lie it's it's been on my list for ages to watch i didn't get round to it because the trailer for it made it look boring as fuck um (laughs) Uh, but I, I was think I've seen a trailer for it. <laughs> but I was just like, do you know what? Um, I'm I'm down to watch it because it's something that I've been meaning to watch. So and and I'm happy that I did because, as previously discussed, normally trailers get me hyped for stuff. Uh, sometimes they don't, and when they don't, <laughs> it can really be a challenge for me to bring myself around to watching something. So yeah, well, and especially with it being a Netflix film too, like it. Um, you've got that feeling like it'll always be a thing yeah Yeah. right away even though which is not fair to the film any of them no Um, but yeah yeah it's yeah very a very understandable feeling Mm. um i so i have maybe what what is maybe a hot take then uh i so i don't i i don't want to act like i'm a connoisseur on on uh southern accents like southern um, united (laughs) states accents but my dad's family's from the south um south carolina like they my dad uh, doesn't have an accent anymore unless he gets pissed off. Then it comes back quickly. Yep. Um, but <laughs> my I grew up around my family down south. I love all of them. Um, they're all great. So 
growing up watching movies, whenever there would be a bad Southern accent in something, my dad was quick to notice it or, or point it out or, you know, whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became kind of a thing that, like, I started doing probably just modeling after my dad. So I'm always, whenever I hear a Southern accent from someone who I'm not used to seeing have to a Southern accent, um, I, I usually kind of am, for the first few minutes at least, like, leaning forward, like, what's this going to sound like? <laughs> so Tom Jane, I, I obviously didn't know had uh, a Southern accent in this. Um, so my first reaction was like, oh, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty good. And then having that Nick Cage slap, the sort of thing you mentioned earlier of like, okay, there's choices happening here. This isn't just like, um, I, I don't know if that's in the novella that some of that's explained, but regardless, like he's, he's portraying this dude a certain way. I thought this, <laughs> I thought this was career best Thomas Jane. Perform- I liked him so much in this now i don't know i don't know how many things i maybe i haven't seen enough maybe he's done you know more interesting stuff in other places my my guidepost for thomas jane performances is like the punisher the mist um i'm trying to think now off the top of my head what other deep blue sea i guess although Mm -hmm. in deep blue sea especially at the time he was in that like Joel Kinnaman level of white guys that all just looked interchangeable like he wasn't really and and that's kind of how he's also always been is like reliable actor you know like a a guy who's not going to give a bad performance but also there's not necessarily I don't say there's nothing interesting about him I I like him as an actor I always have Um, but he's doing roles that typically are more like a gruff dude or you know more of a kind of a bruiser guy or, or whatever else so this performance I've loved. I, I I thought he was great. I I don't know. <laughs> it makes me wonder if I rewatched it, um, how I would feel about it. If like with a second look or like a keener eye or whatever. If I, I but I it worked really well for me. I I was I felt like it it meshed with what you need to kind of buy into from the jump, which is that he's not a good dude. Like they they don't overdo it. To where it's like, look at this villain. Look at all these horrible things he's doing. Uh, a lot of it is with the aforementioned, um, you know, very prosy narration. Uh, but it, I think also in his performance, the way he carries himself, like you were mentioning earlier, Dave, like the anger and all that. The times where the camera suddenly does cast him in a more nefarious light, mm. at least for me, it worked really well. The time where it cuts to him and he's cutting an apple uh, with a knife was one like there where suddenly you kind of see like oh this dude's crazy <laughs> like yeah. he's 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 he has all of these negative things but also um he there's no remorse there's no um and and, and it especially starts to like sink in when he starts telling her oh hey i am gonna do what you want to do we are gonna move and mm-hmm. um and she lights up and they i thought they did a good job uh, or hilditch i mean wrote and directed the movie so i'll give him a lot of the credit here with this particular point as well is like, I thought they did a good job with her character and making her not, I didn't find her unlikable, but also I didn't find her like to be a, an amazingly likable mom or person either. Um, well, like, she's not given any, she doesn't give you any reason to think that does she like, she's not right. particularly and nice it's, it's to a, the son. I think, and that's why he they have to figure that out because you if if she's too nice if she has too you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a lot your your disbelief is going to have to be way more suspended and that a son would help his dad kill this mom that he has mm-hmm. 
this relationship and, and whatever else with and this love. And he does have that love and he has some sort of relationship with her. But whether it's because she's not a great mom or he's going through, you know, that age, teenage years or whatever to where the, the disconnects are going to be a little bit easier in terms of disagreeing with your parents and emotions and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I liked how they th- there's clearly a lot to be said, obviously, for um, how sexist and awful everything was back then and, you know, how little agency she has, period. Um, but it, it did feel like a good balance of like, OK, she's not they've they've kind of figured this out and not, not that you're on board for a murder, <laughs> no. but at least that you can you can see how in that moment uh, and with that sort of environment, the son was able to be, be manipulated by his dad um, enough to the point to where he helped. But then I, I thought the, the the thing that the, the quick decline that took forever <laughs> thing that you mentioned earlier, um, I was also glad that that did have the quick aspect of it because mm. it's there's it's ultimately a very sad movie <laughs> and sad story because it's it's about this one act that ruins the lives of at least six, six seven, seven people, people. Yeah. yeah like directly if you know other people too but specifically two families that are completely uh, if not outright killed torn apart broken mm. um and all because of this cruel selfish act and it all stems from that the I, I was really i mean he has to carry the movie for the most part i thought i thought all the acting across the board in this was really good uh, i thought yeah. they were all solid performances like mcdonough the guy who plays the sheriff who i think um is was in hamilton i, I don't know his his work a ton but um I, I thought they were all really really solid and it was one of those like situations where it's like okay we don't have a triple a like you know triple a is the wrong word we don't have um like a massive budget massive script massive stars it's not one of those but everyone who's there are all talented and they all showed up ready to fucking work (laughs) like it it has that feeling of like we're trying to make the best possible thing we can and we're taking this seriously and whether it's in the the sheriff especially i thought a lot of the stuff with him mcdonough is always great and everything he's in he's a great character dude but um the sheriff in terms of like you can tell that there's a, a history and there's different aspects and and the culture at the time is playing a part in and in influencing how he sees things and um i mean the way they talk about women is is not very far uh, away from just literally talking about them as property sometimes almost directly that um so anyway i'm i'm, I'm going on and on about it but they, well, I, yeah, I, I did really like it i, I thought it was it was good mm-hmm. it's it's obviously smaller i don't say lesser king but you know what i mean um, well, it's, it's it's a novella. Like you're, they're never going to get the same attention that the big stories, like you know, Carrie or The Stand or it, are going to get. It's just that you know that's and the also one that I would imagine most people don't know. I, I, uh, I sorry, sorry, I, I, I would like didn't. I would like to counterpoint that um, Stand by Me is a novella, Shawshank Redemption is a novella. So they are. Mm movies oh yeah adapted from novellas yeah yeah but i I think huge in the stephen king movie canon but that's more down to the amount of investment that goes into those particular tellings of those stories right yeah so my my argument would be this is not a lesser movie in the canon because it's taken from a novella but it's a netflix movie 
No, but I, I, it, def- it definitely does help. I, yeah. I'm, I'm flip-flopping between sides here. Um, well, we're, we're all saying variations of the same thing. Yeah, like, I, I, I agree. Known. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with what Andy's saying, but I, I do think that it helps when you've got something that is well-known and popular that people will immediately be like, oh, they're doing that, um, right. versus a story which you've you know if 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 you didn't know that 1922 was based on a Stephen King work you know if if they didn't put that front and center and and who wouldn't put that front and center because it's a it's a marketing own goal if you don't um <laughs> you're not necessarily going to be like 1922 oh that's a Stephen King story isn't it right whereas like it or i mean Shawshank I, yeah, definitely. It was one I mean, of those ones where Shawshank and Stand by Me fact. don't even take the titles from the novellas. The novellas have other titles than those <laughs> oh, movies. Shit, so that's right, that's right. <laughs> the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I Shawshank though didn't it get more of a cult following after the fact? Like it, that's it's true. It was time. not. It, it was not um, a success in cinemas. That is true. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I'm arguing here because we all we, we all agree <laughs> on the same thing. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I think I think very few people saw it. Relatively speaking, uh, mm. again, I, I I always say this. It's very anecdotal evidence. It's in no way actually indicative of anything. But at least for my little sphere of a hundred people that I follow on Letterboxd, uh, there were only like maybe five to seven people that had it logged as yeah. as seen. Um, I mean, what, what did I say? When did it come out? 2017. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been out for a number of years now at this point, And, you know, I don't know, I haven't heard anyone talk about it. <laughs> uh, so it, it's, you know, in the years since then. So it, it does kind of seem like it's, it's faded into it a little bit to a certain degree. Yeah. What you were saying earlier, Dave, about the Stephen King thing about not like, if you didn't know what it reminded me of more than anything, um, was Poe, um, and, mm-hmm. and not oh, yeah. necessarily specifically, um, like, well, it, it's obvious. I think if you know, <laughs> just in terms of the way, like, there's a there's a telltale heart aspect to it. There's a a black cat aspect to it. Like, there's there's different this thing of this 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 I can't talk this act of violence of mm-hmm. of murder, uh, and then unraveling this person's psyche and and just it tearing them apart, whether it's uh, guilt or whatever else. Um, so much so I, I, that dawned on me early on in the movie. But then um, there's a scene in it that is literally a scene from House Fall, the House of Usher, but just shot from the opposite side. Uh, And it's when they're in a funeral uh, with one of his kids up there and he looks over his shoulder behind him and sees ghosts. Yeah. Like, did you guys notice that? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's literally the same thing as Bruce Greenwood in that shot, in that scene and just filmed from the opposite end. And obviously, I don't think I'm not saying anybody was pulling it from anybody else, but that just kind of even reinforced it in my own head of, you know, it feeling like a, an Edgar Allan Poe type deal haunted by, you know, these literal ghosts, these metaphorical ghosts, um, so on and so forth. Mm. It does have, it's pretty gory. It's pretty, um, it's pretty violent. Like the, the times where it does get dark, it gets pretty dark. Um, I did probably my, (laughs) one of my favorite parts. And then one of my least favorite parts happen exactly at the same time in the movie. Um, when she has like the, the, the fucking Willard level of rats following her, Mm. (laughs) chasing him down into the basement, not chasing him. She's just Jason walking. Uh, she gets down there. She starts whispering into his ear. I thought that part was awesome. It was so creepy. Mm. Like the visual of it, the way she's looking at him. 
Um, and he's asking her, stop, like, stop, <laughs> stop telling me this stuff. I would have, I loved the idea that there was this almost sort of revival-esque thing where she's just like, um, you know, tearing his mind apart with these things that no one should know, but, but she knows because she's dead. But then what she's telling him was maybe my least favorite part. And it's another very King thing, I think. Mm. But there's this sort of like sub idea that his son and, uh, girlfriend become bonnie and clyde <laughs> like <laughs> like i bank love robbers. i mean i i don't dislike it but it's it was a little it was a little wild of a left turn for me uh because there's there's no setup for a life of crime necessarily uh desperation it's more of a like Con- yeah it's more of a like young love desperate to get away and you, you know it's us against the world type of thing but suddenly they're bank robbers, and I was like, "Oh but shit, I, okay." But yeah, I, but, but then you know, how did Bonnie and Clyde get started? Like basically the same thing, more than likely. I don't know. I'm asking. Maybe that's. I mean, maybe that's why. I don't know. It's but not like, a big deal. It's a minor in, thing. Yeah, uh, but, but. You know, I, I, I do. I do think that like you know, a, a young couple on the run, no real options. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to have to steal, right? Because yeah. he, he can't get himself a job. He's probably too young to get himself a full time job anyway. But, Maybe it's just the level of infamy that I, I was to the point. But I understand they also there's no easy communication back then. So there's there needs to be enough of a I think there was a, being noticed that it makes it back to his dad. Yeah, that um, maybe, but, but also like I think it was probably a lot easier to uh, get away with robbing people in the 1920s than it was than it would be yeah. doing it today, where you've got it's CCTV and <laughs> sounds like you're. <laughs> You know. So much easier back then to rob banks. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just nostalgic for the good old days. Uh, sure, I've <laughs> got six in the chamber, and uh, I, I want the, I want your money. Um, but no, I it's, did. I did look up the novella and the ending. Um, I like the the film more. The and they they kind of stop it uh, before the novella does. The novella has a little bit more where. Uh, they find his body um, later. His is the stuff he's been writing throughout the movie and the novella mm. is, is all torn up and, and illegible. No one can read it. Yeah. And he is like bitten to death. Like he's been killed that way. It looks like, but the bites are self-inflicted. So mm. King King leaves you with a kind of one final note of like where they're actually rats. Was he just going insane? Blah, blah, blah. Whereas the movie is just sort of this ultimate... I like the movie ending more, where it's just this sort of final culmination yeah. of, like, you are literally faced with the the ghosts, the demons, whatever, of what you've created, mm. um, and whether they kill him, whether that means he kills him, so whatever else, like, it's pretty definitive. Mm. <laughs> like, it's <clears throat> not a happy ending uh, um, whatsoever. I, I wanted to um, rewind a, a little way, because one of my favorite parts of the film is... Um, and, and also least favorite, I've got, I've got my own version, David... Um, is the um, the cow on top of the sh- the, uh, the the <laughs> I well? Knew you were gonna say that. I almost I I interrupt so too way too much. So I was like, don't inter- like. But I when you started to say that, I was like, I bet it's the cow. The because- cow, yeah. Um, specifically, like, but this is the thing: the cow on top of the well is my favorite funny part of the movie. It is fucking hilarious, right? Like the the way they shoot it, the way that they cut away and then they cut back just to see the cow disappearing into the into the the well um the the idea behind it the, the the conniving nature of thomas jane's character as well kind of summed up by the fact that he's willing to um give uh a, give up on one of his cows to cover up for this murder 
which okay and you know in the, in the scheme of things actually isn't that much of a sacrifice if you want to get away with murder but then what i really like is i i, Wait, I what you really like what do you which part so you said something you liked and then now you're going to what you really liked as opposed to what you hated <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm getting to liking and hating the same scene here okay, okay um, he comes bad. he comes back to the farmhouse and it's snowing and the cow that's been living indoors with him is uh is, is collapsed in front of the house and i don't know why it is that i get more bothered about scenes of animals dying than human beings but that was the most affecting death in the movie for me was and and also i think the fact that he cared so much more for that cow than he did for his own wife um i yeah. i hated the fact that they made me feel the way that i did but i love the fact that i felt that way i i it's it's a weird one See, I, I had exactly what you're describing but only in the cow lead cow on the well scene. right because it is darkly funny, but then yeah. also when it, when it first shows them pulling it to come to walk up on there, mm. my my heart sank, dude. I was like, oh, that is awful. Yeah, like because it, it, to your point, like animals, especially like there's they have no they have no sense of <laughs> anything in, in, in that sense of like it, you're just hurting something that's uh, defenseless, and that one in the the house is the same way to where it's just like, man, this is. Um, another yet another thing that is is being harmed and, and not to say that the other people in the movie deserved it they obviously didn't either but um <laughs> yeah. there's some pretty there's some pretty nasty animal stuff the the scene where the rat is chewing off one of its udders is pretty gross oh, nasty yeah like yeah like there's some there i i talked to one of my my best friends last night and she she reads a ton of Stephen king i've mentioned her on the show before and i was like i watched two Stephen king movies in the past couple of days and told her about this and boogeyman and um she was like i watched 1922 i don't know that i'll ever be able to or want to watch it again <laughs> she was like mm. it was just a kind of a dark uh kind of miserable bull time and i at the same time i was just like yeah i, I mean i get that um it's it, it clicked for me in a lot of ways but at the same time there was no avoiding the fact i mean i have a kid a lot of that stuff was really hard you know watching him manipulate his son and 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 say things that he knew would take advantage of what his son was feeling or using it against him or whatever else to get what he wanted um that sucks like that was it, that was hard to watch too but mm. yeah i don't know maybe it was jane maybe it was uh thomas jane's like <laughs> performance that just kept me in there i think um, maybe yeah because like the, the, the pacing thing too i can't comment on because i i watched this over i think two maybe three chunks because of the aforementioned kid where i had to watch it after he went to bed etc mm. so um, I probably had an easier time there because I watched it as a miniseries accidentally, yeah. um, rather than a movie. So yeah, Dis dislike seeing cows being put down, but um, funny watching them fall down wells. What can I say? <laughs> well, what and I also... really loved is when it fell down the well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it was still alive at that point, so it was fine. Um, but yeah, like Thomas Jane's performance, I think, is what makes that that scene um, in the snow later on. Like the fact that uh, of all of the the things that he loses throughout the movie, that's the one that he shows the most raw emotion for. Strangely, even his son, you know, like he he sees his son laying there with no face, basically, and he gives him a kiss on the forehead, and he says, you know, I've got money, you know, the best of everything. 
but he doesn't look as emotionally distraught as he does when he's comforting the cow ready to put it down and i think i love that i think like i think too the it was like he he held on hope for a long time that eventually it would flip yeah and it would all be worth it hmm. like because he's very self i mean he talks from the beginning about like there's there's a man inside every man's the got another man, man inside of him yeah and yeah and, and that whole thing or whatever and but the whole sort of like linchpin for him to, throughout the entire thing and, and, and conversations with his son is that it will be worth it. It will be like these things will then be able to happen and we'll be able to be happy. So I, I also interpret it as like basically down to I mean, he says it took me two years to drink, you know, all the money away or whatever yeah. else, like down to however many years past it was. He's still clearly waiting, you know, for the tides to turn in some way or for something to happen. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm. Like I. Yeah, I, I, even to the point to your to your point where, where he sees his son, I think there's still part of him there that's like, well, eventually <laughs> I'll be able to get past this, and what we did will be worth it. Yeah. Um, but no. Well, I, also something that I wasn't entirely sure about, and I don't know if this is them trying to make him out to be like a something of an honorable man or or what or if it's just that he regrets everything that happened with um the other farmer's daughter but like when he goes to him and he he says i'll sell you my land for 500 dollars, just don't sell it to the pig farmers and i'm just yeah. like what does it matter what happens to the land if you're just selling it to get away yeah just, that's what i mean he's just, he's yeah. still hanging on to the, the all kinds of crazy i stuff. guess i was just you know if i was i would just be like if it was me fuck it so i didn't so i didn't like the fact that my wife wanted to sell to them i'm not going to cut my nose off to spite my face in this instance you know the rats are there to do that um so i'll just i'll just sell it to whoever gives me the most money and then i can drink it away in like five years instead of two like it, i i think i think you're saying that makes sense I think the character still has a connection to the land and the history mm. and and he just does not want to sell to the big corporation because obviously this is part of the movie too is this um, dichotomy between the city and, and the countryside um, yeah. where the mother just wants another life. She doesn't yeah. want to live in the dirt. She wants to go to the city. She wants to open a dress shop. She sews these beautiful dresses that of course have no place uh, on, a, on a farm. Um, and Thomas James' character calls the city the, like, the city of fools and, and that's what he um, teaches to his son as well mm. and that's why of course he can manipulate his son into working with him in killing the mother because, yeah, your mother wants to take you to the city and then you will become a city boy and they're all fools and he will, she will separate you from your girlfriend. And I think that is something that is really part of his character. That is not just a thing that he tells his son. He wants to stay on that land. He does not want to go to the city and he does not want to sell to the big corporations that probably come from the city and that will change life um, on, on that farm up. and in that region yeah. and that will, will change everything and his his life will be upturned and he desperately holds on to the past that he has come from and yeah. and wants nothing to change he wants 1922 to stay 1922 yeah i guess that, that does make absolute sense what you say yeah. there andy i i guess i'm just looking at it from my very analytical point of view which is fuck it if i'm having to move away anyway then i'll sell to whoever gets me the most money 
Yeah. I like how no room for sentiment scouting your your point at all. But I like how your uh, analytical point of view starts with fuck it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just like, you know, what what good is maintaining the country (laughs) life here going to do me if I'm not going to be here anymore anyway? Or like earlier in the movie, he says something about like what what uh, what's the point if I don't have someone to leave it to? Yeah, uh, talking to his son, it's like, well, yeah, well, foretold that fate. Like, there you go. <laughs> uh, Molly Parker, who plays the mom, um, I you. So I'm assuming you guys knew her because she's in multiple things. I know either both or one of you have seen that I have not seen, including uh, Deadwood. Um, and then uh, uh, what was the other one? Dexter, House of Cards. Um, she's been in a bunch of uh, a bunch of shows. I, I guess I have seen House of Cards, but I don't recognize her. her from any of those things. She seemed vaguely familiar to me. In, in Deadwood, she's <laughs> Timothy Oliphant's um, liaison. Ah, uh, yeah, the... she's the, the rich city woman she's who the owns lady. the gold. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the morphine the, the, the widow. Yeah, and that yeah. is on my, absolutely on my list to watch is Deadwood. So the hair. I will get to that one. The hairdo makes a massive difference, the way that she wears her hair. Honestly, like I did not recognize her because of the hair. I, I There were times in the movie where I had to remind myself it was Thomas Jane because he looked so different to how I remember him from The Mist. He's and... very slim in the face. Yeah. I remember him, yeah. always remember him, probably from Punisher, because I haven't seen a ton of his, his work either. But I, yeah, I uh, he, he's become very slim. Mm. Yeah, yeah, chisely. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, the the weird connection I have um, with Molly Parker is not with her directly. I don't know her. Uh, is when I was a kid growing up, one of my uh, parents. Uh, I don't know if it was one of their favorite books, but I I saw it around the house all the time. They they would talk about it, and then they made a TV movie of it, starring Molly Parker and uh, John C. McGinley, I believe. And it was the um, adaptation of Intensity by Dean Koontz. So for my entire most of my life until maybe young adulthood. Dean Koontz for me was mostly just this guy who wrote intensity. Um, it had like these like stri- crazy bright stripes on the front of the book and, and all that stuff that was, had a pattern to it. Uh, but I was not allowed to read the book. <laughs> so which made me want to read the book. Uh, so when the TV movie came out, I think especially it being on TV and everything else, it was already sort of a little bit more watered down in terms of like violence and all that. Uh, my mom taped it. And then I think she like kind of edited out a couple of scenes she didn't want me to see. <laughs> And then uh, watched it with me. Um, which, it's weird. Like I, I fondly remember. It's a fond memory now, uh, and not even because my mom's gone, but like it, as a kid, it drove me fucking crazy because <laughs> I wanted to see all the stuff I wasn't getting able to see. Um, but then it's become this kind of like fun memory because I have cuts of things in my head that aren't real for anyone except for me. Um, like the Breakfast Club, I have so many edits for that movie in my head that I can I can hear the transition of the score because something yeah. got chopped out. Like there's right. a part where Bender yells fuck you at the at the principal mm-hmm. who's out in the hallway. So I my mom cuts so that many out. Questions. Like <laughs> did, did was it cut together? Like she spent nights down in the basement with like an editing no, rig? No, or no. <laughs> did she just tape over the bits that she objected yeah. to with like adverts probably... or random other T V shows? Yeah, I probably I think she had seen it. A lot of these it's stuff she had seen already and then um she would just hit pause on the recording when something would start that she didn't want us to see and then unpause. So it was just ah. jumping forward. Um oh, so like man. the bender thing, it's this like big tense fight between him and the principal and then the principal's walking away, you see it build up and then it cuts to like 
an echo of something and so i always was like what did he scream there <laughs> it wasn't until i was like a teenager that i got to see an uncut version of every song anyway they're happy oh, memories now but so i used to watch this cut version of intensity uh this dean coon's tv movie adaptation and she was the the lead um so i i had seen her a lot in one specific thing so she was vaguely familiar to me it's also a crazy john c mcginley performance which most people know him from maybe not most but a lot of people know him from scrubs and he is a uh um a thomas harris-esque serial killer <laughs> in intensity so anyway big uh big side yeah i have it, it makes me want to see how i know i have at least one of the audio ones but man i wish i could build like a a library of my mom's director's cuts on on things that i've watched growing up that <laughs> she cut stuff out of i i know i have an audio one somewhere um where she i think this one was more involved she wanted me to be able to listen to is it delirious by Eddie murphy or raw it was delirious um which if anybody if you know that album is you know he says a lot of shit (laughs) you don't want your kid to hear probably um especially at that age but she went through and muted out all the swear words but not in the same way where it was cut um but she like actually uh muted out so i could listen to a censored version of the album basically that didn't exist so a lot of these like punchlines from delirious i have in my head are are these weird edits (laughs) too (laughs) so anyway sorry not to go off on a uh, a sentimental dead mom tangent but that's cool. the one for this I, I think i was in my mid-30s <laughs> before i saw a cut of robocop where um what's his face the arm gets blown off <laughs> no well yeah the arm actually no strangely enough the uk edit that we taped late night so i could watch it kept the arm in um and by that i mean it came off um <laughs> But what they didn't keep was when one of the goons uh, lands in like a vat of toxic waste and then he gets hit by a police car and (laughs) explodes into just just goo. Um, Strangely, that was seen to be too much. But um, removing of of an arm with with a shotgun was was absolutely fair game. I think a lot of us have, especially in America and and probably in the UK, probably Germany too, have have stories of I although if i had to guess germany, germany probably just got it last year yeah have you yeah. guys finally seen robocop Andy? <laughs> 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 finally it's finally there <laughs> oh man i'm not spontaneous enough to come up with a great german alternative <laughs> title for robocop because it was called robocop in germany yeah for sure <laughs> That's a shame. but i think there's a very great possibility that we only had a uh, censored version of of robocop in germany for a long while that is it feels like so many possible. of us have that story where it's yeah. like there was one point where we finally saw what actually is in robocop where we were <laughs> like, oh shit <laughs> like because we had all seen like slightly cut versions of it or well yeah because i mean the bear- longest time bearing in mind i feel like robocop is one of those films that like most kids got to see like a, a reasonably safe edited version to the yeah. point it was so popular with kids, it got a cartoon series. Yep. Like Rambo <laughs> had a cartoon series. What the fuck were the 80s? Highlander. That's great. <laughs> we need to go back. We made a mistake. My, we need to go back. My double feature pick for 1922 <laughs> is... Uh, um, I, I just forgot the movie we were talking about. <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> Robocop. Holy shit. My mind went completely blank. Like, <laughs> nope, you're not going to know anything. <laughs> Yeah, Robocop, 1922. Uh, do you guys have any other big points about it before we do double feature picks? 
Only to say that the, the the idea of RoboCop nineteen twenty two sounds amazing. <laughs> like time traveling, very steampunky. Yeah, yeah time traveling, steam powered. Oh man, yeah, book it, make it. No, all no, this talk no. of, of of censored versions and comedians and stuff. Uh, we haven't said all these words yet, so I have to shit piss fuck cunt cocksucker motherfucking too. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> there we go. That's why that's why we are what we are here at Erie International. Um, all right, Dave. Uh, well, actually, no, Andy. What's your double feature pick? They always give us a, a head start. Uh, so yeah, I, I was going back and forth between two movies because you mentioned the Edgar Allan Poe connection, and and this is very very much an American version of a gothic tale. This is Stephen King's, um, like yeah, almost like a a, an, a literary exercise of taking a a gothic tale an Edgar Allan Poe type uh, style uh, type tale and setting it into his his home country his history and setting it in the south of 1922 and so I looked at lists of um, American gothic movies and there was this subsection of southern gothic movies which of course is way more fitting even than than American gothic mm-hmm. And two movies stood out to me, and I'm still going back and forth between those, but I'm going to pick Frailty, uh, directed by yeah. Bill Paxton, with Bill Paxton, Matthew McConaughey. Um, it is, it has the, Fuck, that's the, 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 the religious uh, themes are not as strong in 1922, but they are there. The discussion, oh, great sentence. I, I, I love the kid's performance, especially, uh, yeah, and his, his evolution. And he, and he has this, this, this sentence where he says, I, I hope heaven do- doesn't exist. I hope God doesn't exist because if heaven doesn't exist, hell doesn't exist and we're definitely going to hell. Um, So the religious parts are in there and that's why I'm picking frailty. The other one would have been uh, The Gift by Sam Raimi. Ooh, I've never seen that. Okay. Uh, Yeah, frailty is a great pick, especially the... The, the father son yeah. dynamic and the the father or the sons putting their trust in their father you know even though everything is screaming against that yeah good movie good pick Dave what you got uh, I got two um, the first one was uh, I when while I was watching this I was thinking are the rats controlling the dead body or like what's going on with this so I immediately my mind flipped to an episode of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, Dreams in the Witch House, which is based on an H.P. Lovecraft uh, short story. And um, there is a part of that film where... uh, Film? Uh, (laughs) Part of that episode where a dead body is reanimated by uh, by a rat. So um, that was something that popped into my head. But I've ended up going for something else. Um, Now, stop me if you've heard this one before. But... uh, there's uh, a film out there about uh, a bunch of blokes who are being haunted by uh, the ghost of a woman who they either directly or indirectly were responsible for murdering. Uh, this film was made in 1981. It stars Fred Astaire, Alice Krieg, uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. <laughs> it's Ghost Story from 1981. Of course. <laughs> Someone needs to go back through all our episodes and count <laughs> how often one of us picked the same movie again and again and again but i'm I am pretty sure winning. you're taking the cake with ghost story <laughs> that's yeah, why i probably. picked two because i knew that i couldn't just it, in my own heart i couldn't just pick ghost story <laughs> at some point we need to do an episode on that movie and you will I think we do. still double feature it with itself i probably will um and uh, i i will not feel bad about this <laughs> 
Uh, mine is, David. is not that, uh, maybe not that inspired, but I, I wanted to stick with the, um, um, the theme of how much I enjoyed Tom Jane's performance in this. Um, I, I think probably one of my other favorite performances of his is one of those sort of like reliable everyman uh, types, and that's him in the mist. Um, but there's a, a similar thing there with a father son relationship, obviously um, a, a, a functional positive one. Um, but he he does act his ass off in that last scene uh, in a way that is like you go a whole movie having to just be kind of a dude who's trying to protect his kid who also paints amazing uh, illustrations of uh, the dark tower back at home. Mm. And then you have to kill your kid and spoilers for the end of the mist. You have to kill your kid and, and all of the people that you've <laughs> survived with and then live with that forever. And so you, that whole not movie forever. He's not a vampire. <laughs> well, well, uh, that's what the, yeah, that's I've not the, got the to the end of the dark tower out. yet. <laughs> Everyone who survived the mist is now immortal. Um, yeah, not forever, but he, for the rest of his life, that, that sticks with him. And so, Having to go from that kind of performance to in literally like the span of one and a half minutes uh, at the end to do something that big and huge, um, I've always uh, I've always liked that. I mean, everybody talks about the ending because of what happens, mm. um, but he's a big part of making that work. I, I, if, if he didn't, I think we'd all be talking about how goofy you know his reaction is or how unbelievable it felt or whatever. But uh, no, he, he sells it, and we all talk about how dark of an ending it is and how. You know, unbelievably uh, cruel, but yeah, I I like the idea of be, getting able to being able to sort of see um, the two facets of Thomas Jane in a horror movie, um, the two different approaches, um, yeah. and it, it does make me want to watch more of his stuff because I I've always liked him, like I mentioned before, and it makes me wonder if if there are more um, not out there performances, but more you know, kind of where he's stepping outside or or molding things a little bit more, um, because uh, yeah, I dug this. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, a pizza pan goes wrong. Classic British <laughs> Christmas fable. <laughs> uh, do we do we have something to announce, Andy, or no? Mm, no. We have plans, okay. but we haven't made yeah. a schedule yet for okay. these things. So, no, nothing to announce yet. Follow us on whatever. Um, but either way, you know, say subscribed. If you're subscribed, then you'll just get the episode when it's ready. We put it out right away. Um I think that's it. Yeah. I had, yeah. Good, I had a good time. Let's discuss how this went. <laughs> no, good episode, guys. This is fun. Uh, everyone stay safe out there. Keep watching horror movies, and uh, we'll see you next week. This has been a production of fanoff.com. And that's perfect.